Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we'll discuss a different safeguarding topic with a range of expert speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. I'm Melanie Harding, your host today, and uh, I am joined today by Emma Kneebone. Emma is a uh, deputy CEO of Tuish Charity and is also, uh, well, I, I won't go into any more. You can tell me exactly what you do, Emma. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Could you, Mal. Could Good you give to us a bit here. of background? I can indeed. So um, my name's Emma. I am the deputy CEO. But I'm also the head of bereavement services for Tuish. Um, Tuish are a Welsh charity supporting anybody affected by sudden and unexpected death in children and young people. Um, so just to give you a kind of a bit of background, really, we were founded in 2012, um, following the personal experiences of our CEO and founder, Rianne Mannings, who's absolute powerhouse of a, of a woman, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who, who know her and met her, um, who was at home uh, on a normal weekday evening with her husband and three children, who were three, two and one at the time. Um, and it was just a normal weekday evening. The the older two had just had uh, a bath and were watching um bit of telly and having some warm milk before bed and little George was just crawling around on the floor uh, or learning to crawl trying to get to his toys as one-year-olds do. Uh, Ree was in the kitchen just clearing up after dinner and husband Paul was upstairs. Um, she saw George uh, fall backwards which you know any one-year-old learning to, to crawl does. She naturally went to approach him and put him back upright and as she started to do so he started to seizure. Um, for any parent obviously complete panic and there was absolutely no reason for it there was no signs of illness at all um, in the previous hours or days and no no temperature no cough no cold nothing um she obviously called for her husband they dialed 999 immediately and the ambulance came and got george to hospital um if you hear Ree speak, she talks about how incredible the doctors and nurses were and they did everything they possibly could to try and save George's life. But sadly, within four hours of having made that call to 999, George had died. Um, and they still at this point had absolutely no idea as to why. Um, Ree then um, you know, talks about how her her experiences at the hospital were that although the doctors and nurses were incredible when they were trying to save George's life once he'd been declared dead it was like no one really knew what to do Mm -hmm. no one was quite sure of the process um and she remembers being taken to a kind of a small cramped room it was some kind of children's unit there was Disney stickers on the wall um to to stay with George for a little while and then they left through the doors of A&E a couple of hours later and they were given a scrap of paper that had some numbers written on it um and it was basically numbers that may or may not be able to support them in the coming weeks and and days etc they went home and um George, um, George's first birthday cards from a few days earlier were still up on the mantelpiece. His mm-hmm. brother and sister were still in bed at this point, and then the wiser, and they were just kind of left to get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the few days following that, the family, friends gathered round as is normal, and they were lucky that they had an incredible support network, but there was no professional service in place that kind of 
came along and, and held their hands and, and mm-hmm. explained the processes that will happen during a child, you know, when a child dies or explain that the feelings they were having were completely normal, mm-hmm. although very terrifying. Um, and Rhea and Paul kind of dealt with it in very different ways. Rhea was quite... Um, practical pragmatic and it's okay we're going to pull together as a family telling them that it would be okay that they would get Mm -hmm. through it um paul as george's dad felt um, a lot of guilt and that he should have been as dad he should have been able to save him it should have been him not george um kind of had that kind of um, dialogue happening in his Mm. head and five days after george's death he left the family home and he didn't um, come back again and it was only when the police arrived a couple of hours later to explain that um Paul had sadly taken his own life um, that Rian and Rian and family had then left not lost not only her youngest son but also her husband in the space of five days um, oh. and in her words still nobody came oh, gosh. so that was kind of where you know the, the the passion and the need for making sure that there was somebody in place in that immediate aftermath to support um, so following the boys' deaths, um, in, within six months, the, the local community were incredible and raised £25,000, took that money to, to the local hospital um, and kind of said, want a, we want a bereavement room. So that actually there was mm-hmm. somewhere appropriate to go and say um, the goodbyes for anybody that use, loses anybody they love of any age. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the hospital felt that there weren't enough deaths in the hospital to warrant a bereavement room at that point. Um, so she actually approached then the um, University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. They took her money. And that's where our first bereavement room was set up in 2014. And uh, we've kind of gone from strength to strength really since then we um cleared through clinical governance and immediate support pathway that um that that offered a memory box immediate support and later down the line counseling um Mm -hmm. and then that was that we offered a pilot so between 2014 to 2015 there were 17 um sudden and unexpected pediatric deaths and all 17 said yes please to the offer of a memory box Mm -hmm. and 16 of the 17 said yes please to the offer of immediate support and later down the line counseling and that was the Mm -hmm. beginning of our service delivery really and we've kind of grown from strength to strength since then we now work with every health board every police force every hospital um and we've listed in the prudic which is a all wales document um it's called the procedural response to unexpected death in childhood and we're listed in the organization as the only organization in that document so it kind of really became uh, an all wales organization and then I just checked before i came on to speak to you actually in terms of you know how many referrals we've now received to date um and it's 1315 so it's 1315 children and young people 1000 315 families and 1,315 communities across Wales that have suffered suffered that sudden and unexpected loss of a child or young person. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much, Emma. I'm just going to take a beat because I think that's just such a powerful story and, well, reality, not story. Um, and just, you know, what amazing outcomes that have, that's yeah. come from such a terrible tragedy. I just, um, it's, it's incredible to hear the positivity in which Rian's, uh, you know, absolutely her, her, her path is gone. Um, and she's certainly and very determined. An, well, yeah. And what an impact <laughs> and, and, yeah. you know, for some, and, and to notice that gap where there was such a clear need as well, that yeah. is, um, you know, really pivotal, really important. And I think, um, very poignant for me I think I can uh, relate to some some of that um 
so yeah thank you for sharing and it's it's really interesting and hopefully our our um listeners will um uh, will have learned something um from from hearing that uh that story and if you could maybe go on to tell me a little bit about um how bereavement maybe affects children and young people I don't know if you've got any stats that you can share on that or yeah and I think children and young people it can be is so varied so mm-hmm. um you know it depends on kind of the age of the child and young person is kind of the first thing to to really say um and and actually the the younger um age group in terms of children is that it's so much about language and how we explain death and um and what grief is for, for younger kids where you know it has it's not that um, somebody's gone to sleep because you can then the child can actually then be scared of going to sleep because they may they, they'll think that they may also die as well um, it's also really important to note that uh, for us we feel quite strongly that actually the younger children um who are very much still in their developmental stage um from from kind of toddlers really up to to probably 11 12 13 um, we're very keen on supporting the parents Mm -hmm. to support the child um because actually that's you know it's the right way to do it it's it's in in some cases they'll they will still need to go on to access professional support and we can absolutely do that um but we kind of have what we call our parent support pathway where um families are, are struggling to be a family unit when there has been a sudden and unexpected death of a child in a family unit so um, that the family can very much feel like they've imploded almost and they kind of retreat to their separate corners of the room mm-hmm. so to speak and families can take years to actually come back to the, the middle and feel united as a, as a family unit beforehand when they've lost a significant um, yeah. part piece of their family yeah. um, and so every single child who experiences that does so in a very different way um, and I actually experienced this myself so um, back in 2001 my family uh, from Somerset and um, my brother Alan um, was sadly murdered and he was 22 my, my sister was older she was 24 and I was 16 at the time and um, and what I was just saying then about how kind of it implodes and we took years to come back together as a family yeah. um, and we have to remember that children are part of a family unit sometimes Mm. when there's been a death of a sibling because the natural um natural response is to kind of support mum and dad Mm -hmm. um which is what we do as a service you know that's the first thing we do is we 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 offer that immediate support within 48 hours and the first person we call is mum and or dad or you know whoever we've been given the contact details for um and so it's only it's it's later down the line actually that you start to notice the the needs of the child as well and and mm-hmm. they tend to accommodate what need is in that family so um for example for me I became the joker of our family because that was the role that my brother was within our family and we'd lost that he was the creative singer songwriter mm-hmm. um he was you know the mischievous one he was the funny one um and then when he was killed and everything became so I mean, everything changes when you when it's a sudden unexpected death and it's a child. It's it's you know, we talk about grief and and what is grief and it's that kind of emotional aspect. Um, But it's not just the emotion, you know, and and it's not just 
um, sadness, it's despair, and it's not mm-hmm. just anger. It's r- like all the body encompassing rage. Um, there's a lot of guilt associated. There's the physicality of grief. There's the psycho- psychological aspect of grief, the, the behavioral, um, and then also the kind of loss of faith for some, but actually um, the loss of spirituality or the loss of belief system. And so it's this all encompassing experience for everybody who is in that family unit and it's different for every single person and we all experience grief differently um and so you know in terms of how so I became the joker within my family and um it was only a few years later that actually um, I was then diagnosed with PTSD and um it was kind of a delayed reaction to Mm -hmm. um because I felt that I needed to cheer everybody else up and make everything better for everybody. Um, uh, Having had that experience and actually um, I needed support too, to actually recognize that uh, and and to have that, um, to have that diagnosis of PTSD and then to go on and have um, trauma therapy um, and to have scientific explanations for why I felt anxious were the things that really, really helped me. Um, Mm. But that is different for every child. And if you're, you know, although we are saying earlier, we, we support, um, we try and support younger children through their parents. Teenagers are a different ball game um, because, you know, being a teenager, you just want to fit in with your mates and you want to be um, normal like everybody else. And actually something like a sudden death of a sibling is anything but normal. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it makes you feel um, excluded, even if that is only in your own kind of thought processes, Mm -hmm. Um, you're different to everybody. You know, in terms of my family, um, it wasn't just we'd lost a sibling, we'd lost a a sibling. I'd lost my brother through murder, which is, you know, so rare. Um, I I came from a town in Somerset, like that wasn't a word in my vocabulary. So I was also, you know, we were on the front page of the newspaper, etc. You know, that kind of, Mm -hmm. so it made me different. Like you could hear people saying oh that's the girl with the murdered brother um and that's not something you want as part of your identity when you are a teenager um and so I think it's it's I think it's it's for society although because every child or every young person experiences grief differently um and and it's it's not just experiencing grief but what type of grief is it you know is it yeah. is it the grief experience within a natural life cycle um which ideally would be perhaps you're younger and a pet dies which is still terrible but you, mm-hmm. you go through that grieving process then later in life a grandparent then after that a parent and then at some point hopefully when you're very old and warm in your bed asleep yourself that's natural and and it's mm-hmm. they're all difficult very difficult and I'm not taking away from that but they are difficult um losses But they are also something that we can process because that's the natural way. It's what we understand as the life cycle. Anything that goes against that, um, we really struggle with um, just generally. And then and 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 it can develop into something kind of called complex grief um, where natural grief is that over time, you feel more able to deal with grief. It's not saying that it necessarily lessens or that it gets Mm -hmm. better or any of those kind of platitudes, but you feel more able to deal with it. Um, Whereas something like complex grief, or they call it complicated grief, um, is where over time your grief actually gets worse um, because you kind of get stuck 
um you, you can't you can't and move on for whatever yeah. exactly and able to progress and, and when does that happen it happens when it's a sudden death when it's uh, multiple deaths perhaps when it's a death of a child when it's yeah. a violent death so perhaps a homicide or a suicide um perhaps it's alcohol or drugs misuse so there's lots of so so, so children and young people experiencing those types of loss is going to have a completely different set of outcomes potentially to those that are experiencing the natural life cycle um, and I think that the, so in answer going back to your original question yeah. um, it's it's about having an understanding of what type of death they're experiencing understanding mm-hmm. that everybody grieves differently and it is really a unique uh, feeling for, for each individual person um, but also that us as a society we need to have kind of an understanding of what grief actually is you know I think we're quite we're quite good at being quite nervous about grief and and we're anxious that we don't want to make it worse we don't want to say the wrong thing um but actually to get more comfortable with it and to be able to have those conversations and make people that who are grieving who already feel vulnerable feel safe and secure and able to talk Mm -hmm. is vital yeah absolutely um, that's, that's really interesting and, and just I was reflecting when you were talking about then um, teenagers as well I was thinking about all the added complications that you know teenagers that teenage those teenage years bring when you're trying yeah. to carve out your, your role for yourself in the world and hormones Absolutely. and you know other pressures like exams and all those things it's just yeah, yeah hugely complicated as you said um, Absolutely. so that's that's really interesting thank you um so you mentioned there about some of the work that uh, Tuish does to support yeah. people. So um, I, I think counselling you mentioned there with yeah. uh, for siblings and, and parents and family members. What what other things do you do you do and offer? So we kind of have what we call the Tuish journey, really. So um, it starts off with our memory boxes. Um, yeah. The memory boxes are they're a gateway to our immediate support, but they are also a very, very important part of our service on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and our memory boxes have uh, things like inkless hand and footprint kits, so we can mm-hmm. get um, the handprint or the footprint um, of the child or young person. Um, they have little organza bags so that we can get locks of hair if the families want them. Obviously, this is all yeah. with consent from the family. Um, we have two little Gorgeous George toy elephants, basically. And Gorgeous George is obviously Rianne's son's name. Um, he's our, Gorgeous George is our mascot. So any kind okay. of twish event, you'll see a big grey mascot running around. Um, and we have two of these toy elephants in the memory boxes, one that stays with the, the child or young person and one that goes home with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we end up sending a lot of those out um, to siblings. And it's that kind of continuing bond that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the memory boxes are done at the same time as candle. There's forget-me-not seeds. There's other bits and pieces in them. But they are done at the same time as having a conversation with the family to kind of say, you know, we work in partnership with a, with an organisation called Twish. Um, they can support families, you and your you know the entire family mm. are you happy for us to make a referral on on your behalf and it's normally the 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 hospital or the coroner's officer or the police um officer who is in touch with that family in the initial kind of minutes hours um and so they normally refer with consent from the family into our service um, and when we get that um, referral it kick starts what we call our immediate support pathway which i was mentioning earlier that was cleared through clinical governance when we mm-hmm. um did our pilot and the immediate support is um first contact within 24 to 48 hours okay. um and then we 
offer that immediate support, which includes things like a home visit as soon as possible. We think it's, um, you know, it's vital to kind of develop that relationship, sat in front of somebody as much as possible rather than just on the phone. Um, The immediate support lasts for as long as there is risk and or need present. Um, And so that's different, again, for every family. So is it um, is it financial concerns that you know mum and or dad may not be going back to work for quite a while and so mm-hmm. they but they can't pay the bills so is that a kind of concern are they worried about other siblings is it the funeral that they are stressed about and not sure how to afford it or, or to plan it mm-hmm. um we guide them through the processes so things like families don't understand or know that the police if your child is 18 or under and they die suddenly the police will come to your door not because you've done anything wrong necessarily but because it's part of their processes people don't know that why would they so um we uh, we make sure that family, you know, we hold their hands as much as possible, really, yeah. and guide them through. Um, and then that normally lasts for about three months on average, and then they can access other services with us. So counselling, um, yeah. we have um, self-employed counsellors, bank of them across Wales. We couldn't do our service without them. They're, they're an incredible bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and different types of counselling, so trauma counselling or bereavement counselling, young person counselling. We've got play mm-hmm. therapy for the younger ones, yeah. um, kind of age four to 12 on average. Um, we offer complementary therapy, um, okay. which has been really effective. So that's for um, anybody who, who doesn't want to speak and they'll kind of say, no, I'm not ready to speak to a therapist or counsellor, um, but they want something you know they might they might feel the physicalities of grief so it might be they're mm-hmm. unable to sleep unable to eat very very anxious um that their body's on kind of high alert constantly and it's just to have something to create a safe space and to hopefully feel make them feel relaxed enough that they might be able to get a bit of sleep or you know sure. feel able to eat a good meal so that works really well um and then more recently we've offered um we've been able to offer Tichaf, which is a, a respite house in north wales um eight miles south of Carnarvon and it's it's beautiful it's um it's 30 meters from the sea and we yeah. offer families a week respite there and that's had some you know been brilliant for families who just want to try and reconnect and get a bit yeah. of recharge relax and get away for a little while yeah I can imagine and yeah. just getting away from your everyday and yeah just yeah. away from the things probably the memories as well and Absolutely. things surrounding you and get somewhere and the fresh air yeah. in the countryside is uh is definitely and we've got kind of you know there's there's focus there's focus support groups there's there's monthly events there's facebook group we, we, we're basically we've there's two things about to wish it's that that immediate support um in the initial aftermath because families don't know what to expect they don't know what's going to happen and and they, you know holding their hand near that time and then the kind of community services later down the line and the idea is that people there is a kind of um to wish journey in, in terms of services but the idea is that everybody is different and people can kind of pick us up and put us down um along the way of their grief journey as and when yeah. they need us yeah yeah Wow, that sounds such a, a, a really valuable service, like yeah. and, and a really holistic service as well. Yeah, like that's across the a lot idea. of different kind of areas. Absolutely, so, oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. And um, if I were to kind of ask you, um, obviously, a lot of the work that we do is with schools, um, yeah. predominantly schools. We do have other other kind of sectors outside of schools that we that we service, but. Um, how, what would you say to teachers or what would you recommend to teachers or school staff to support children that might have lost a sibling or suffered bereavement? Is there any kind of piece of advice that you can provide? 
Yeah, and we we do do a lot of um, so we have a, a a children and young persons service basically, and that is led by our children and young person coordinator. Okay. So um, their their role is kind of dual really. So the the first aspect is a small caseload of um, siblings who don't want to be or close friends who don't want to be um, supported, understandably, by the same person that is supporting mum and or dad. Mm-hmm. And so we might go to they might go to McDonald's, they might go for a walk in the park, whatever it is, just to have um, a safe space to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really helpful also we're told by a lot of the, the the young people that we support and then the other aspect of the children and young person coordinator role is to kind of really reach out to the schools colleges universities that um, either haven't been thankfully affected by a sudden unexpected death of a child or young person aged 25 and under or who have um, and the conversation is kind of different but similar in both of them so when it's very reactive if there has been a sudden death in a school it's normally that we have kind of got in contact or the school has reached out to us either either um, and then we're having those kind of conversations in terms of um teachers do we need to go in and support teachers mm-hmm. is it actually the, the the teachers have had training they might have already had contact from us um and that we're actually going into and taking a counselor with us to do kind of a holding session in a in a, in a group of, in a classroom with a, a group of students um and so if yeah, and we can then support you know it might be that a teacher needs um, individual support it might be that we identify a small group of um, the close friends for example mm-hmm. of the young person who's died and we go on to provide one-to-one support or group support okay. to them um, and then the other side of it is when there hasn't been uh, a sudden death and going into to have conversations with schools and say hopefully there never will be and this will be a redundant mm-hmm. conversation but if there were to be what do you do and what would you do? Yeah. And just having that open conversation to say, how is there policy and procedure in place? Mm-hmm. Um, are you prepared? Do you know how you would support young people um, on a group basis individually? Do you know how you would support your staff? Um, do you know how you yourself would, you know, like how would you, would yeah. you need support? Have you had kind of any training in terms of grief and loss more generally, particularly with, um, uh, with a focus then on, on sudden death or, or, or child death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, it's two, twofold. It's the preparation because actually when what we have found is in a couple of schools where a death has happened and the teachers are trying to support um, it's a very high, you know, it's a very emotive uh, environment yeah. to, to be in, and the teachers are trying to support the students, but actually mm-hmm. the the teachers are identifying that they themselves need support um, because it can happen. You know, it's it's, it's sudden and it's unexpected. Yeah. We're all as humans, we're going to to all have um, a reaction yeah. to that exactly, um, and we're all potentially going to be triggered by our own experiences as well. Mm-hmm. So my my real advice, I suppose, would be be prepared. Okay. Um, is it in your policy and procedure? Do you know what you would do? Is there a kind of flow chart? However it works in your school environment. Um, if not, we'd love to have that conversation with you and help mm-hmm. you get that in place. Yeah. Um, we know that supporting children and supporting young people in um, who, have, who have had a sudden unexpected loss of a sibling or a close friend, being able to have that reassurance that they have support in place if and when they need it and Mm -hmm. it might be immediately it might be six months down the line it might be that they're calling us and we do have this as well they're calling us in five years and going and now I'm ready um that's 
all absolutely fine and we can do all of that support yeah. but you need to know that you need to know that we're there initially and you need to know what support we can offer and you need to know how to talk about grief and loss mm-hmm. um to make that okay and to make to make young people feel that they can be supported and they can communicate that they can feel safe um and so so yeah be prepared is basically the kind of advice and then um if you actually are somebody that is listening to this and you are dealing with a young person who has experienced the sudden unexpected loss of a sibling perhaps or a close friend um Honestly, I would say it's about communication, um, having that conversation and asking them how they are, um, asking them what they actually need, because quite often, um, quite often young people can feel forgotten because and and we have this conversation with dads a lot as well, where, um, you know, if if a dad picks up the phone for the first phone call we make. Um, quite often dad will pass the phone to mum and then okay. mum naturally becomes our contact point. It's the same thing really that happens with, with young people um, where they all feel the attention, and I say that in inverted commas, is with mum and or dad mm-hmm. and they just feel kind of forgotten and that they yeah. just need to be quiet or they need to make everybody feel better or they mm-hmm. whatever role they put themselves into within that family unit um, and it's to protect themselves, you know. Um, but actually... To make to, be, to to allow them to feel like they can talk to you and to to do that and that they can be honest with you will then make them feel safe mm-hmm. in a time of their lives where they feel anything but safe because mm-hmm. you know we were talking about that loss of belief system loss of faith the uh, the behavioral the physical all of these changes that are happening to them at once that they don't understand and they can feel lots of different things in a very short space of time so they're exhausted they might not be sleeping they might be eating properly yeah. they they you know they might be a bit substance misuse whatever it is that they have um, used as coping mechanisms they are probably really tired in their grief mm-hmm. so making them feel spa- um, safe that they can talk you and creating that safe space is really important Um, and then letting them know what is available to them and what professional support that they can access and if they do get upset in a school environment they already know where they're meant to go who they're meant to go and speak to um, Mm and where they can go and have that safe space to just be because sometimes you just need to let it out and just need to cry or scream or shout or whatever it is Um, and that's actually the most positive thing and that there is um, a process in place you know that if it does get too much for them and they need to go home that that they know that they can ask for that as well so empower them and empower them to ask for what they need on a specific day in the kind of weeks and months following a death because it's not a short a short fix um and what might be applicable maybe a week after might not be applicable you know a few months later so absolutely be flexible with that definitely no, that's really interesting. Thank you. And, and loads of really good practical advice, um, which I'm sure that our listeners will, will find useful and hopefully not have to um, kind of implement. But Absolutely. Um, it's really good to know that um, where to go um, yeah. for signposting um, if, if they do need that. Um, Emma, would you be able to just tell me what your plans for Tuition are in the immediate future? I think you've got some exciting stuff happening. We do. So... Um... We are, I said at the very, very beginning, we're a Welsh charity and we are very proud to be a Welsh charity. Mm -hmm. I must admit I'm English and I spend most of my time (laughs) apologising for being so now that I live in Wales and I'm still unable to pronounce any double L. But... um, But we are, we're a really proud Welsh charity. We we started back in 2012 and we were able to keep going for many years because of the community that really got behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that said, we know that, you know, we very quickly became an all Wales organisation. Um, but we know and we we were started because there was a gap in terms of sudden death um, yeah. where it's, it's no better. It's no worse. It's still horrific. If a child is expected to die, um, there are a lot of um, services in place. There's hospices. There are palliative care pathways. So to wish came into play because if there was that sudden aspect of the death um, there didn't really seem to be a, an umbrella organization that would support mm-hmm. and so that's why we started we filled that gap for sudden unexpected death in children and young people yeah. we quite recently did a big scoping exercise to look at um, does that gap still exist and if so where and um, we had a look in England and um, we but the, the conclusion was yes there are still gaps there's I must say there are pockets of excellent support out there, mm-hmm. as there are in Wales anyway um, already, but um, there are still way too many gaps in terms of if a child or young person was to die suddenly or unexpectedly in England today, it would be very much a postcode lottery as to what type of support that family yeah. would get. So that's our next step, that okay. um, we will be going into England and yeah. we will be expanding um as we're calling it into phase one, because England is slightly different geographically to Mm -hmm. Wales. Um, And whereas most people kind of start a charity in England and say, and now we'll do Wales, we've done it the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, So phase one for us is the border counties. So um, from Cheshire all the way down to Somerset. Mm -hmm. And um, we hope to be delivering exactly the same services we do in Wales in those border counties by um, autumn this year Uh, and then we will continue to to hopefully expand throughout England and hopefully the UK as well but that's a a few years in the uh, in the pipeline Um, but yeah the expansion to to fill the gap so that actually you know our mission is that every single family who experiences the um, sudden and unexpected loss of a child or young person aged 25 and under is offered that support in the immediate aftermath of having lost their child and while that we know that that isn't happening in certain areas that will Mm -hmm. continue to be to be our mission our aims that's really fantastic and just hopefully you know more and more people will be supported by the wonderful work that you do um it sounds like you're offering a really valuable service um it's been great listening to you and finding out all about it um so yeah i'll be i'll be watching um with uh yeah i'll be watching with uh excited anticipation of what's next to come um i will put uh as always the links to your website and your social channels in the show notes so if anyone wants to uh, find out more about what you do or or follow you on socials then they'll be able to do that there um but uh that's all from me and i just wanted to thank you emma for for coming on spending some of your uh, very valuable time in telling us what you do uh, and how you're helping, uh, well, all sorts of people, but particularly children and young people. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for having me, Mel. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Lovely. Thank you, Emma. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe and feel free to rate us using whichever podcast provider you use.